Well, I'm really, really excited to be with you today, and I know um, that the Lord has something very powerful for this meeting. Um, <clears throat> you might not totally understand that, but I understand that. Um, your pastor and I are like on the same wavelength. We are. Yes. I mean, this morning, yeah. then... You know, the, when I was sitting there this morning just praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to share with the congregation? Because I don't pre prepare messages in advance and ship my notes to the pastor. Because I must first feel the people. I must first know in my spirit. I can't send notes in advance. I can't do it. I must hear from God. And the Lord said to me, I'm going to increase the capacity of the people. That's exactly what you said. So um, I'm really thankful to be here, and I want to share a lot of things with you, and um, I'm trusting that it affects the way you see things, your vision, affects your vision. And um, I want to start with uh, Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm just going to go deep this morning, I'm just... You're going to have to keep up with me. You know the verse? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation. That's only half the verse. Can anyone quote the second half of the verse? You can. <laughs> you see, there's someone who can. Most Christians, they, they stop there. They don't get the other half. First the Jew and then the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Paul was not a fanatic of religion. He wasn't a church builder. He wasn't fascinated by, by steeples and, and, and bells and cloaks and, and collars and in incense. He was fascinated by people. By people. Right. He says, the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it, because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Because in it, your identity is affected. You know what I'm saying? Because in it, you don't remain the same way you came in. Because in it, every power that assumed authority over your life from the moment you were born up until you were born again bows its knee to the name of Jesus. Amen. And those powers are, those powers are your national identity. That's one of the powers. I was born in South Africa. My mother was born in Blackpool, England. My dad played soccer in England for English clubs, professional soccer players. I have a South African passport. I have an American passport. I have a British passport. <laughs> My wife has also an Irish. She, has, she doesn't have it, but she can qualify, but she doesn't need it because we have American, British, South African. She also has a Portuguese passport. She has a Brazilian opportunity to get a passport. We are permanent residents in... Up until the European, until, the, until England left in Brexit, we were residents in 36 countries of the world. Res, residents. 
I have a serious identity confusion in my life. I don't know where I'm from. I left South Africa right in the middle of the apartheid. I was going. I don't want to be a part of apartheid. You know, I left my country just like you. Land in another nation. I don't know where I'm from. It's, a, it's an authority that was placed over you by your national, uh, by your nation, a, a, an identity that gripped you, your nationality. You know the Brazilians? Is there any Brazilians here? There's only one. You know, have you seen a Brazilian? You see them miles away. They come, you first see the flag. Yeah. The flag. If a Brazilian comes on holiday, they're wearing the flag. The flag is their socks. The flag. I mean, their identity is so linked into who they are. Um, because people has, still have that authority of who they are in the natural. People link themselves to their, uh, their tribal identities, especially Africans. You know? <laughs> and I'm not against it. I'm not against it because it's a human anthropology is important. But you cannot gain your confidence in these things. You know, in, in, in African tribes, you always find another tribe who's smaller than you. It's, 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 ah, those Tongas, those, those Matabilis, those, you know, Lundas, Luvales, ah, those, you know, there's always one tribe is always better than another because it's all the devil's plan is to discriminate, to make somebody, it's just to discriminate. In the garden, remember Adam? Remember Adam in the garden? Do you want to be like God? Remember that? Do you know the Bible says in, in the same chapter, they were created in the image of God. Now the assumption, do you want to be like him? He's discriminating against the work of God. The devil just discriminated. You are less than you think you are. But if you do something, you can become this. It's just a lie. It's called discrimination. It comes on every nation, every tribe. Devil is on a mission to discriminate you from the identity you have in Christ Jesus and his fullness that is upon your life. It came to you independent of your works, independent of who you are. So people also um, are in the, uh, are under the sway of their ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. White, black, colored, Indian, um, Arab. There's an ethnic group, discrimination, that people are under the power of. Us believers, we are so far out of that world. We don't care who, what color you are. What you look like, what, what uh, your presidential um, voting, uh, who you vote for, we don't care. Our opinion is different because we see people different, because we see ourselves different, and identity. So the power of, of the church that Paul refers to, he says, I'm unashamed of the gospel because it touches your identity and it calls you righteousness of God. When the Bible refers to the righteousness of God, it doesn't talk about a characteristic you have. It talks about your identity. You are no longer Angola. You are no longer Congo. No longer Gabon. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. A difference. Big difference. Huge difference. Because 
You know, if you are from Congo and you try and get to South Africa, you know the South Africans, they look at the Congolese, they go, I don't want any Congolese here. <laughs> you can't lean upon who you are in the natural. Your spirit in God is righteousness. You tell those people, don't refer to me by some natural identity. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus in your spirit. And you will arise above everything. Everything. Let's talk about the business realm. The realm of business. So you enter your business realm. Discriminated in the natural because you're a foreigner. Because of your color maybe. Because of people who have walked before you. You get discriminated. Are you going to adapt, adopt that into your your one walk upon the earth, your one race that you're going to run. No, God, God has put within you a spirit of greatness. And you can rule and reign to whatever capacity you receive from Him. Bible says, as He is in this world, so are we. Now that will chase every religious demon out the room. As he is, so are we. The capacity that he has, you, you have. But we often walk in, a, a, we are like taking baby steps for so long that we don't walk in that capacity. And I understand that. But today, we're going to break that thing. Amen. 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 Capacity increase here today. So, let me go to 1 Corinthians. And this morning, I was having breakfast. And looking over your beautiful Bosphorus bridge and um, thinking about this area, looking at Asia, looking at Asia. And I thought about this characteristic in the Bible, this character in the Bible that Paul referred to. So Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians, he rebukes them in chapter 1 because he says, I'm so glad I never baptized you. <laughs> he says that. Because you would have called me a God. You would have worshipped me, Paul. Because if I baptized you, you would have said, I'm baptized by Paul. And you know what he's saying is you would have linked your identity to a human being. When God has greater things for you. He says, but I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Stephanus. Everyone say Stephanus. I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Paul got close to one guy, just one. His name was Stephanus. He said, I got into the household of Stephanus. I baptized him. And then I linked my spirit to this young disciple. My name is Stephanus. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he writes at that same letter, he writes this. Verse 15, I urge you, he's, writes to, he's writing like a personal letter to his friends, to his people. I urge you, you know the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of the whole of Asia. So when Paul just gets near one person, he just gets near one. He sees this person completely different 
than anyone can see him. He says he sees the whole of Asia. That's why this morning when I was having breakfast, I was looking at Asia, thinking this is what Paul was thinking. He looked at Asia, he thought of Stephanus. He said, I'm not going there. I'm going to send Stephanus. He's going to rock the whole place. The whole of Asia. The first fruits of the whole of Asia. When, God, when Paul saw Stephanus, he saw the entire nation. When, often when we see people, we just rub by, pass by them and we, we just randomly moving. What do you see? Are you seeing someone who's wasting your time, is irritating you, who's, who's just there to give you some space and glory? Or when you look on them, you fix your eyes on them, can you see the whole nation shaken in one person? That was Paul. He could not go past a single person without seeing the whole world in them. Everyone was like that to Paul. The whole of Asia shaken by Stephanus. Jesus was the same way. You know, when he was walking on, um, on the beach in Matthew chapter 1, it says they were mending their nets, the fishermen, and he walks past them and he says, follow me. Remember that? Great story. And the two disciples were with their father, mending their nets. And they left their father and followed Jesus. Don't you find that very strange? Imagine you. I'm a father. Some person I've never seen in my life walks past my son, says, follow me. My son packs his bag, doesn't even say goodbye. He doesn't say goodbye. I promise you I will chase that person down. I will tackle them. I may beat them. You cannot do that. What is going on? Something else that the Bible was not telling us was happening. So I'll tell you what happened. This is really what happened. In a, and I want to tell you this because Jesus, when He calls you, He doesn't just mention your name in passing and then and kind of mean something but give you a little bit less. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know if it's the same here like in South Africa and Zambia. If you go to fast food, you know, a hamburger, yeah. you know, and you stand at the counter of this fast food restaurant and you point <laughs> at the burger there on the picture and you say to the person, I want that burger. Then they, they, you wait a little bit and then there comes the burger. It's, it's much smaller. <laughs> you look at it, you go, you know in America, in America you give it back, you go, I want that one, they will come with that very one. But it's smaller, you know. It's not God. When Jesus was, was promising you life, He wasn't saying, I promise you life. And when He comes to you, it's something a lot smaller. No. It's the real same life. It's the Zoe life of God in you. And so, um, Jesus is on the beach. He says, follow me. Now, the tradition is this. I don't know if you know the, the Hebrew historic uh, cultural um, interpretation of what he did. A rabbi will follow students in schools. And in Israel, you go through three schools. 
in that time period. Remember, in Israel, at that period, that time in history, there was no schooling. Schooling was the Torah, the five, first five books of the Old Testament. That was school. That was geography. That was mathematics. That was science. That was, that was politics, politics. That was everything. You learn that, you learn everything. Also, the rabbi was the highest political and governmental position in the land. So the highest calling in Israel was the rabbi. The highest calling. It wasn't the business. Wasn't, it was to become a rabbi. The highest calling. So a rabbi would go to the first school of the students, which was between like three and eight years old. In that time, you studied the Torah. The rabbi would look across the students and look for the most brilliant. He'd find the most brilliant. He'd come, no, he'd say, you're not the most brilliant. Let me find somebody else. <laughs> he'd go look. He'd look for the most brilliant and then earmark them and go, I'm watching this one. Then they go through the second schooling called Beth Medresh. In Medresh, 8 to 13 years old. In that time, you study the Torah and you memorize the Torah. But as you know, if it was me, I would be, I would be procrastinating whilst, whilst in class and trying to cram right before exams. <laughs> and guaranteed, I would not remember everything. Oh, that's right. You know what I mean? So I would not be the best candidate. And the rabbi would come through into the, the, the Beth Medresh on the final exam day, and he would look for those people that were the exceptions, brilliant minds, the cleverest, the most brilliant. And then he would earmark them again. And then he would select them for what was called Beth Talmud, to become what's called the Talmudin. Talmud was the final schooling to become the rabbi, to become the, the highest call in the land, to become the greatest in Israel. And that was called Beth Talmud. And then it would happen at the end of Medrash. The high priest would come through and he would wait and then he would choose them. And he would come to that student that was perfect. And then he would say this word. Lechach harai. It's a real word <laughs> in Hebrew. Lechach harai. In English, you translate it, follow me. Not used for anything else. Only used for qualify, qualifying someone perfect to become a disciple. So, when Jesus was walking down the beach, he didn't just say, follow me. He said, you are perfect. There's no problem with you. Although people told you, oh, you're from Congo, oh, you're from Gabon, you will never accomplish anything, oh, you're a woman, oh, you're a, you've got one leg, you have no hair, you, you're fat, you're thin, you're too short, you're not married, you, whatever, the devil lying to you. Just lying to you. Jesus says, perfect. Perfect. Just perfect. Now, if you didn't qualify, if you didn't qualify at Medresh, guess what it, the, 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 the default job for you was? Go work for your father. Go work for your father. Go back to the family business and work for your father. So when they were mending their nets for their father, 
It was because they were, un they were rejected. And they were just, you're just going to work for your father. You're just rejected. And that spirit of, I don't, I'm not qualified before God. I can't walk was on them. So when he said, that's why the father never rebelled. I can tell you, they went home and had a party. <laughs> they celebrated. Our son got the word. He's been called. And so Jesus qualified because when Jesus sees you, he doesn't look at you like the world sees you. Neither does he see you the way you see you. He sees himself in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says this. As we behold him, as in a mirror, we are changed into that same likeness from glory to glory. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? Did you see yourself that you will, what you will look like in 10 years? The ladies? No. I don't see gray hairs. You know, did you see yourself like you, like you, like you, like you looked 10 years ago? And I was like, yeah, I wish I did. I wish it was. No. A mirror, a mirror doesn't lie. Unless you go to a circus and then you look at the mirror and you look fat. Mirror doesn't lie. It is a present reality. Present reality. As we behold Him, as in a mirror, we are changed into that same likeness from glory to glory. Your capacity is dependent on the revelation you have of Jesus. It's if you see Him distant from you, your capacity is small. If you see Him in you, capacity big. Actually, no limits. No limits. You see Him in you. Um, I must share another one. Um, Sharon and I were, were in Greece. Greece. Yeah, it was Greece. And um, we, went to, we went to Athens. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love the Word of God. I don't love other things. Um, uh, philosophies centered around the Word and the, and the love for Jesus and His walk upon the earth and the central part of history, which was Him. So when we went there, I wanted to find what Paul did. I didn't care about all the tourists are following some Japanese, Chinese flag, <laughs> walking to do, I can't follow the flag. I must go and follow what God said at that time to those people. So I ended up, Sharon and I ended up, in Athens on the, what's called the, uh, a propagus. Yeah, it's called a propagus, which you would know it as Mars Hill in the scripture. Right. Where Paul preaches in, in Acts chapter 16, he gets up on Mars Hill in front of the temple of Athena and declares the, the, the gospel of the unknown God. Remember that verse? The gospel on Mars Hill. Well, it's quite an interesting situation. It's this rock that's got no buildings. It's got weeds and grass all over it to this day. I mean, nobody values this location. I do because that's where Paul preached. I don't care about the temple of Athena, the Greek gods. I I'm, I'm on the rock where Paul is. And he stood there looking up at the temple. We stood there and looked up. and You could see all of the 12 Greek gods on there um, 
on the temple, and it's quite magnificent. Paul was looking up, and he was preaching the, the gospel to the unknown God, of the unknown God to the people. And he preached, and that day, um, it says here in Acts chapter, it's, it's last, last verse of 80, 17, it says, and there that day responded to his message a man by the name of Dionysus. I'd never even taken note of his name before in the New Testament. Dionysus, this man. And so um, Dionysus and a lady by the name of Damaris followed Paul that day in Rome. Uh, in, in Athens. We found out later that um, Dionysus is the patron saint of Athens to this day. So he's the saint, the patron saint over the Greek Orthodox churches. We also found out that Dionysus became a radical believer, follower of Paul. So much so that he, through his ministry, removed from the earth the Greek religion that to this day nobody worships the Greek gods. I'm talking about somebody who got into the culture within his lifetime and removed an entire religion off the earth. That today, from then to now, they call him the patron saint of Athens. He became the archon. Paul, does he never mentions Dionysus again. He just spends one week with him, or however long he was in Athens, looking at this man Dionysus, grabbing him and going, you won't believe this Dionysus, but all the glory of God came on you in Christ Jesus. Dionysus, let me tell you something. When Solomon built the temple, because remember in those days they never had the word, eh? In the Old Testament. When Solomon built the temple, and we had all of the ceremonies going up to the Holy of Holies and the, and the veil that was before the Holy of Holies that exempted man, that quarantined man out of the presence of God. That veil, that was established to show us that God wanted us inside the Holy of Holies and through the blood of Jesus. He qualified us. We are, that Holy of Holies now is in us and He's in us. And Dionysus is just, just exploding with revelation. And then he grabbed the gospel and shook the whole of Greece. One man. When Paul is in this neck of the woods, Turkey, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia. Remember that? The dream. Remember that story? So Paul has a dream. In the dream, a man comes to him from Macedonia and says, come to Macedonia. He tricks. He gets up and he goes to Macedonia. And that part of Macedonia was the city of Philippi, where Paul first went and he planted the church, the Philippian church. But it was, it was the city of Philippi that he went to Macedonia to. 
to find the man in the dream. Right? He gets there and he finds that her name is Lydia. The man was actually a woman. It was Lydia. He meets a woman by the name of Lydia. Just don't get confused about gender in the New Testament, people. I'm just telling you. It is historically shown that through the life of Lydia, the gospel came to Europe. That's what history says. Through Lydia's life, the gospel came to the whole of Europe, my ancestors. From Paul, going to Macedonia, finding one person. Just one. Just an average person. Just the first person who said yes. The closest person to Paul. There's a secret, guys, about, about, a, about expanding the kingdom of God. Don't look for the sexiest person. The, the one with the most swagger. Just, just find the closest one to you. Just the closest one. The first one. You, sir. You, ma'am. Come here. That's all I need. I'm not going to look across. I'm just the closest one. It's throughout Scripture. Jesus walking down the beach. You, come. Paul gets to Macedonia, finds um, someone outside of the, the, the criteria of his vision, a woman, Lydia. You, you're, you're great. Just, you're perfect. The whole of Europe will hear it through you. Dionysus, the Apropagite, on the rock, standing there staring up at Paul. You're the closest person. It's you that will change the entire region. Just the closest person. You understand? It's just the power of God. It's not dependent on what you look like. Or your family heritage. Mm -hmm. Or your lack of resources. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that if you receive it, if you say yes, Lord, to all of your greatness, your capacity increases instantly to His. Amen. And there's no predicting, there's no predicting your life. You realize that? No predicting your life. Imagine if we were predictable. You know, look at them, someone look at you and go, oh, you're going to earn by the end of your life a little bit of this money and you'll have a little house and a little this, a little that. Someone predict you. I'll be if you try and do that, I'll go, listen, I'm going to break everything on that. I'm just going to break it. Yeah. I hate that. Right. I don't want to be predictable. Yeah. I want to be, be useful in the hands of God Amen. in any way He wants. Right. And so um, I'll tell you a story. Um, I have many stories that I can tell you like this, and I may just tell you a lot of them <laughs> over our time. But I do this because I want, you to, I want you to know this is how it works, and that your life is also going to be useful in the hands of God. We focused on Zambia a lot in the last 15 years, and the God did it, because in Zambia, we started seeing a massive breakthrough with the traditional leaders, the chiefs, and the kings, and the emperors. And so, just to give you a quick glimpse, um, the, the government, the president of Zambia, gazetted us to put one pastor as the main advisor to every chief in the nation of Zambia. So no longer than Dunas, 
educating the chiefs on how to deal with the people. Now pastors, praying with the chiefs, believing God for the people. We were gazetted by the government to provide one for every single chief in the nation of Zambia. From Chitamakulu, the, the head chief, chief of chiefs, all the way down, 288 chiefs, all of them. And so we started seeing God do some massive stuff, massive. Chiefs coming to Christ, chaplains going into the palaces, dealing with all of the, the um, traditional beliefs that are not healthy for society that came down through generations and keeping the ones that are healthy, believing that Christ's kingdom culture would go to the people so they can break them free from the bondage upon their nations. We started seeing this in a massive way, and it's incredible. It's still to this day. In fact, this year, last year, in Zambia, they had the National Day of Prayer. And um, in Zambia, is a Christian nation, so they have a National Day of Prayer, which is a public holiday. Everyone has to pray. Well, they don't have to pray, but they, 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 they're required to believe God for the president and the nation and whatever. Well, at, now they actually take the national stadium of Zambia and everyone, all the government comes to the national stadium and they publicize it. And there they begin to declare the word of God and the, God's, and the constitution of Zambia to the nation. And every stadium is full in the nation. And they publicize that to all the stadiums and every church is full of people praying. And it's just a big day. This year, they asked us to emcee the stadium, the main stadium, to come and pray over the nation. And, and the reason they did that is because all of the traditional leaders of the nation of Zambia uh, look to us as their pastors. So the government could not phone the traditional leaders and say, come to the stadium. They'd say no. But they knew if we said, come to the stadium, they'd all come. So all the traditional leaders came, and the stadium was full of government, traditional leaders, and then we were there in the middle on television to the nation. And we saw some big stuff, not just stadium preaching, cultural change. You know that's where it really is. It's not just in the, in the performance on Sunday. It's whether the culture takes a change or not. People's decisions. Why? Because people are people, beautiful people, people in villages. They are innocent. They don't know. They don't have television. They just get to follow. And bad leaders get to lead. And their lives suffer from bad leadership. So our culture has to change. Anyway, so we decided, we were, we were pushing into Angola. Any Angolans here? There's the Angolans, you there? So I was, I was a soldier. I fought for UNITA in Angola. I was a soldier in Angola. I fought in the war. I fought in Quito Carnival, the big battle. I was in every attack of the big battle in Angola. So I love Angola. So we're pushing into Angola to the tribes in Angola that had, that there are tribes in Angola, you may not even know this, that there are no language translated for them, ever. No, no language. They have not mathematics, geography, nothing. They don't speak Portuguese. They don't speak, they speak their own languages. And there's six tribes that we work with in Angola like that. So we have people living there. Very costly, very difficult mission. Very beautiful mission. Very hard. But we're pioneering it to Angola and we're doing it hard. And then my team comes to me and says, we need to go to Congo. The Congolese, who are the Congos? From Kinshasa. Most of you from Kinshasa. Anyone from the southern provinces? Anyone from southern? Anyone from Lubumbashi area? No? Lubumbashi? 
So we said, let's go to Congo. We're going to go to Congo. Muzungus. Muzungus in Congo. <laughs> I said to my team, no, I'm not sure about that. You know, let's, just, let's stay with Angola. Let's stay in Angola. Let's leave Congo. Because that southern Congo is not Kinshasa. There's, there's people are the laws unto themselves there. They will take your vehicle. They will take your cars. They will be in prison. No one will get you out. They'll eat you while you are still alive. They will chop off your fingers and start eating. Southern. Those, those Mau Mau's, you know, one year we pulled our people out of the Mau Mau regions and they were, they were eating people already, the soldiers. They were coming in and capturing them. You know Congo. So I said to my team, no, no, let's not go to Congo. Let's just stay. Let's just stay in Zambia. <laughs> so they said, no, we're going to go to Congo. I said, okay, let's do it. Let's pray. Okay, we send the teams into Lubumbashi and beyond. So they go up to Lekasi, three, four, five hours north of Lubumbashi. But when my team goes in, they get a taxi at the airport. You know how it is. Lubumbashi, taxis everywhere, broken, no hubcaps, dented, half-painted. So <laughs> taxi. Taxi driver speaks French and English. Perfect. So one of my, my head of operations goes, what's your name? Name's Gaston. Gaston. It's a Congolese name. I don't know. Gaston. Speak English and French. Perfect. You're going to be my taxi driver and my interpreter. We're going north. Pay you whatever. You know, in Congo, it's not 20s. It's hundreds of dollars. You better come with faith. It's not as cheap there. It's not cheap in Congo. Especially if you're a Zungu. So, so goes, gets, gets a taxi driver, Gaston. You wouldn't believe this story. Gaston takes the guys north. We, we end up in the Lekasi region. We start some work with the pastors. There was a big move of God amongst the pastors <laughs> in, a, in a strange way that happened. I can't even tell you. It, just, it was a move of God. It was through a soccer game that happened. And one of my team, they were losing. This, this national, the, the team, Kilekasi team, was losing. So one of my staff, Mzungu, was an exceptionally good soccer player. Mzungu. They pulled him on the field. He scored three goals and won the game for Lekasi. They lifted him up and they ran him around the soccer field. And next thing he got up and he said, I haven't come here just to play. I've come to preach. And that opened the doors for Lekasi. Wow. Strange how God does that. It just does it. But he, during the game, he broke his nose. He hit, he hit better the ball. He's, he was bleeding and they were carrying him and it was difficult. But um, so they, they went home. The next trip they came in, they phoned Gaston. Gaston, get to the airport. We're going north again. Gaston comes. He gets born again on the first trip. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the kingdom of God. He becomes our driver. Gaston at that time said, um, I've got two years at university, but I want to become a lawyer. So we pay for him to become a lawyer. Becomes a lawyer over the period of time of our first works into Congo. And then we hire him. Now you're going to work for us as a lawyer, because in Congo, you, must, you can't just start something. You must have a lawyer on staff, because... <laughs> You, they just get you everywhere. They get you everywhere. So we hire this lawyer. Now we have a Gaston, a lawyer who's loyal, and is a lawyer, and he loves us, and he's in the ministry, and we have him. 
Andy is our driver. Andy is our interpreter. And he becomes our main relationship there. So we get up to Likasi at one time. The police get drunk. They capture my head of operations. They capture, they capture uh, Gaston, throw them in prison in Lakasi, which is um, not Lumbabashi. If you're in Lakasi, you're in trouble. Nobody's taking you out there. So they're in prison in Lakasi. So, unbeknownst to us, this taxi driver, Gaston, is now a lawyer. Unbeknownst to us, in Congo, it is against the law to throw a lawyer in prison. Because they are the law. You can't throw the law in prison. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. So, you can't throw a lawyer. But we did not know that the Supreme Court Justice of Congo, who used to be the Supreme, or a Supreme Court Justice of Congo, was now Emperor Mantiav. The Mantiamvua. Anybody know Emperor Mantiamvua from Congo? Southern. Emperor of the Lunda Luba nation. Any Lundas or Lubas here? He's in northern Congolese, all from Kinshasa, across the river. In the south, the Lunda Lubas are the most powerful tribe in Africa. From the loins of the, Lumba, the Lunda, from the emperor, come all of the tribes of southern Africa. Come the Tongas, come the Bembas, come the Kosa, come the Zulu, come the Indebele. All from the loins of one man called Emperor Mantiav. So Mantiav, the message goes and says, Mantiav, there's a, there's a missionary and a, and a lawyer in prison in Lakasi. He phones, he says, get them out. These policemen come begging and pleading and sorry and please and they take them out. And Mantiav gets on the phone to our head of operations who says this to him. He says, Emperor, that God wants to move on your nation like he's moving in Congo. And he wants, in Zambia, sorry, in Zambia. He wants to move on your nation in the traditional leaders like he's moving on the traditional leaders of Zambia. And Emperor Mantiav feels the spirit of God come on him and says, okay, I must meet you. And they meet in Kinshasa. For him, it's like a day drive. Emperor Mantiav does not move anywhere. If you know Zambia or Congo, the emperors are above political powers. They're very, very revered and honored people, especially amongst the Lundas. He meets there. Jake, my head of operations, shares with him about the vision that's going on in Zambia. Mantiav begins to cry. And he says, this will be the last great thing I do for the people of Congo. So, he says, okay. Then you need to come to Revival Week with Overland Missions in Zambia. We have two Revival Weeks a year where we have revival, full of Pentecostal revival. Close the doors, fire of God. It's, it's not for television. It's just the fire of God on the missionaries and the men and women of God who are called to the nation. They come to, come to. So he says, yes, we can't believe that Montiav is going to come for Congo. He comes down by a private airplane into Zambia. We drive him to our base. By the time he gets there, every single senior chief in Zambia is at my base uh, uh, to protect protocols. The president of Zambia phoned and said, how is it that you bring Mantiav to our nation and not let the nation pay homage to him first before he comes to you? 
We had to make a statement on television to the nation to say we will send him to the, to the political things, but he came here for revival. And we will finish revival, then send him. And anyway, what happened was, it was a five-night crusade. Butchie was participating in everyone. On Thursday night, remember, all the televisions, ZNBC, BBC, everyone is there because Montiav is there. It was the first time in the history of Montiav, the tribe, the Lunda Lubas, that Montiav had been at the Victoria Falls. Our base is at the Victoria Falls. So there were all this lot of excitement. Thursday night comes. God speaks to me. Because you know the chiefs. I don't know if you know chiefs. You guys, city, city boys and girls. But you have protocols that are extreme. And the Lundas, they are very extreme. The Lundas, the chief is not allowed to be seen eating in public. You can't see him after dark when the sun goes down. He has never knelt in his life, his knees. He has never knelt. Not supposed to kneel. The emperor must not kneel. Thursday night, the Holy Spirit speaks to me as I'm getting to preach and says, the emperor must kneel. And I have now six of the senior paramount chiefs there to make sure that this Muzungu doesn't break their protocols. Because <laughs> then they will poison me. You know them. Then I'm, I'm, I'm navigating. But the Holy Ghost said he must kneel. So I said, okay, turn all the cameras off. Nobody can film what is about to happen. Put the cameras down, everything off. As I went to the emperor and I said, sir, Lord has told me that unless you kneel before him, he can't use you for Congo. He will find another man. That's what I said. Unless you kneel, he can't use you. He said, you must kneel. So he came. He stood forward and he knelt. Those, those, those senior chiefs they, and those paramount chiefs, they were, they were nervous because I was breaking every single Lunda protocol. Especially, unfortunately, I am a Muzungu. That's not really good to have a Muzungu and a kneeling paramount chief because of uh, uh, colonialism. So nothing to do with the kingdom of God, but unfortunately there's a history. So he kneels, but we are apostolic leaders, so we don't care about So we lay hands on him and the fire of God hit his body. I could feel the continent shake, unlike I've never felt it. Mantiav gets up, prays for our whole Congo team comes forward. He hugs them. He says, I am your father. You will, I will open every door in Congo. And we begin to open this Congo door for the nation of Congo. And uh, through, through, through Gaston, taxi driver. Taxi driver. Any taxi drivers here today? Anyone in a taxi? There's some special, something special about you. Next time you get in a taxi, just look at your driver and look like this. Like, ah, there's something special about you. So, how is this? Now, we start our paperwork in Congo to become a registered organization. If you know that. In Congo, they don't have computers like in, in Kinshasa like we know. They must stamp everything with a color of a stamp that is only from a specific office. So, one page can have 30 stamps, all different colors. <laughs> If, and they know, oh, my color is not there. They know it's not there. You go, 300. Give me $300. Just 300 for my stamp. So another 300. You know how it is. 
So we have got papers this thick with stamps now. Six years of, of flights to Kinshasa from Lubumbashi. Flights. $800 flights to Lubumbashi. There's another stamp, another stamp, another stamp. We have our papers are thick and we're almost there. Almost registered, almost permitted for work permits to get a proper registered organization as a foreign entity. Gaston gets killed in a motor car accident north of Lubumbashi. I get a photograph. There's he dead on the road. He got killed. Behind his body, our papers cross the road. Six years of work on that roadside. We're like silent in our office. We're going, oh, there's Congo. There's our people. There's our investment. There's our son on that road. And we mourned for him. But you won't believe this, that April, that was about two years ago, Gaston died. April this last year, I get a message. If anyone knows Southern Congo, do you know who the governor of Southern Congo is? Kantumbi. Kantumbi, okay? Everyone knows Kantumbi. You don't get into Congo unless you know Kantumbi. Or you pay him. Or you, you, you something. He owns Southern Congo. And he has for 30, 40 years. He's one of the wealthiest men in the world. I mean, he's wealthy. Kantumbi. And we know that we could not get into Congo without getting to Kantumbi, and we couldn't get to him. Besides Montiav, we had to get to Kantumbi, but you just can't get to him. Kantumbi, in April, <laughs> lost, lost his, his, his position as governor, and guess who became governor? Gaston's brother. Brother. I didn't even know he had an older brother. I was like, What? Gaston's brother is now governor of Southern Congo. Doors. Taxi driver. Just taxi driver. Just simple person. Closest person to you. First person you meet. See, God, when he looks at you, he sees different. It's not like he is just bypassing you. He sees the nations in you. He sees entire cultures change. He sees Dionysus shake a Greek religion off the planet in his lifetime. He sees Kandumbi off his throne through your life. That's how the gospel works. Paul, when he said, I am unashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to give it to you. Because when I do, comes the righteousness of God. Comes an identity that shakes everything it encounters. Because it's not limited to its own culture. You know what I'm saying? It's not a weakness that you have an identity crisis. It's a blessing. Like me. I don't know where I'm from. Praise God. I can now lean into Him. I'm not carrying my flag, some passport, some color, some language, some accent. I'm carrying the righteousness of God. It shakes nations. It, it, it shakes cultures. It has wisdom above wisdom. It is like the sons of Issachar. It sees, it sees the future. It predicts by faith. It probes cultures. It doesn't allow people to live normally and continue. And we've got so much in, 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 in my life, in stories like this, I can tell you from nation upon nation. But here is the truth, that 
If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, all has become new. Paul writes that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. But verse 16 says this. From now on, we see no man according to the flesh, even though we saw them, we knew him that way. We know Christ no longer that way. We knew Christ by the flesh, but now we know him by revelation. We knew him as from Nazareth. Now we know he's from heaven. When you see your taxi driver, I knew you were a taxi driver, but now I, see, I cannot see taxi anymore. I see God's image in you. I see his freedom upon you. I see his life in you. That look in your eyes will change anyone's life. When you look at them with those eyes, it says, oh my gosh. I was just saying the other day in a meeting, we just came from our base in Jordan. We have a base in Amman. And, um, and I was trying to explain to my team about the value that God places upon people. And uh, imagine, imagine if, you, if you were in a Sunday school class here. If you, were in, if you were the teacher in this Sunday school class, and you've got all these little guys and girls, and you knew that the one guy that's in that class will be the Lionel Messi of the next generation. If you knew it, okay? So now you're there, and you've got one kid that you know is going to become Lionel Messi. So what are you going to say? Listen, kid, don't hurt those feet. <laughs> you know, we protect those feet. You know, don't, don't have, follow that guy because he's not going to lead you. That coach there, he's too small thinking. You're going to be the Lionel Messi. You protect suddenly. You know more than, than the average. You start planning. You start looking at the feet and the hands and the behaviors and going, listen to me, bud. I don't care. I can't tell you everything, but don't do that. You know what I mean? Or please do that because I know something about you. It's the same spirit on you concerning every believer. I know something about you. You don't know. There's so much glory invested in your life. All of heaven invested into one human body. Do you know what was powerful about Mary? I, I didn't come from a religious family. Or any education of Christianity. My family was not religious. So I was the first one born again in my family. I didn't know what Catholicism was. I didn't know Mary. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know. Those things, I'm still amazed that people are so stupid. That they, that they, that they do, I don't know where it comes from. You know, I didn't learn about it. So I, like, I go, why did they do this? Why? And I know it was the devil. But you know what was powerful about Mary's body? About why Mary was so the greatest of women? Because it proved to the world that in a human body, a human body can carry the full nature of God and not die. It qualified you that God could live in you and you would still be with glory and honor and, and, and the favor of God. It, it canceled the curse of Adam that cursed the body of man because of their unbelief and qualified mankind. Because in you is greatness. I'm going to close this morning. Um, I don't even know the time. Is it 2 o'clock? Yeah. I'm going to close this morning by, um, by telling you a story of when I was in the army. I'll tell you because the Angolans are here. So I'll tell you. When we were fighting in Angola, 
We were fighting Cuba and Russia. Remember, they came in. You were too young. You were a baby then. <laughs> Cuba and Russia invaded Angola in the Cold War, and the UNITA was a rebel army that came up, and I was assigned to fight with UNITA. But we were outnumbered. Russians put 300 tanks in Angola. We had 11. We had 11 tanks. They had 300 tanks, and they were coming south. And we met them. And we had to fight them, and we fought for nine months. So I never showered for four months. <laughs> not, not once. Nothing. Anne was fighting. So I was very dirty and bearded, and it was rough. But we were winning every battle. We never lost a battle. So even though we were heavily outnumbered. But I'll tell you what happened in 1988, Christmas, uh, New Year's Day. It was New Year's Day, 31st of December, 1988. We had to attack a base that was heavily fortified, and they were on a mountain, and their tanks were all in the ground with barrels, only their barrels, and it was very hard to attack. And we were in the valley about a, two kilometers away. They knew we were there. They knew we were coming to attack them, but we couldn't win. So on New Year's Eve, we chose a day that they would be their weakest. Because see, New Year's Eve, you're always thinking about home. We thought they were at their weakest. Come uh, about 10 p.m., New Year's Eve, we started, we put speakers up, we started playing music, horror music. We started playing horror music, music like orchestral music that sounds very scary. We played it for two hours. Over and over and over. Same song. Didn't change the song. One song. Over and over and over. Till midnight. Midnight New Year's Eve. My commanding officer said, fire on the enemy. Only illumination. Only lights. We, we have lights that come on parachutes. They last five minutes. But when they come over the enemy, you can see them daylight. It has the effect of someone shining a torch in your eye. And you can't see. Like a police officer puts a torch in your eye. You can't see where they are. Fear. So we put lights on them. And um, I must tell you, the day before, the 30th of December, we had an airplane fly over and drop pamphlets on them. And the pamphlet said this. We will give you one last chance to go home to your families. They had 45,000 troops. We had 300. They had 300 tanks. We had 11. We will give you one last chance to go home to your families. Just propaganda. It's not true. We will give you one last chance. We flew over. Midnight, we throw lights on them so they can't see us. They don't know how many are coming. And they got scared. Five o'clock in the morning, New Year's Day, we, we came in through the, through the trees to take over their base. Those tanks were still there. There was nobody. They had run for their lives. <laughs> they had run. We took 13 tanks that day. 13 tanks. We drove T-54 Russian tanks. We took them. Nobody there. And the facts are this. The devil flies over your life with pamphlets. And he writes all kinds of things on there. And you get to pick them up and either believe them or don't believe them. He puts messaging to you about who you are in the natural. It's got nothing to do with the Word of God. He's flying over at the moment. He says, he's got one word on his pamphlet. 
coronavirus. <laughs> Corona. You, you will be inflicted with coronavirus. Don't pick it up. Don't pick up the pamphlet. Just leave it. You are weak. Maybe your life has been a product of abuse. Abuse in, in various different ways. And there's like scars in your life that when you try and break out, that holds your capacity in because of something that's happened in your past that is, that is holding you back. I'm just telling you, the devil's lying to you. Don't pick up those pamphlets. That thing's in the past. It's gone. Don't keep regurgitating. It's got nothing. It's, it's gone from your life. You are new in Christ Jesus. Brand new. Brand new. God believes that. You're going to go to God with your problem. He's going to go, what problem? I forgot about that thing. You were born again. Brand new. And in, and in that place, capacity increases. Amen. So would you stand with me today? We're going to do something. And then we're going to have communion. And the communion today is going to be an act of faith. That our church, that this church is going to be exempt from this noise of viruses and corona. We are going to take the blood and the body of Jesus as our act of faith because we believe that. This will be the act. Like baptism is an act. This will be our act of faith that we will be exempt. But right now I want you to place your hand on your heart. I know that everyone in this building longs to be useful in God's hands. And longs to break a capacity that other one that someone else put on you and break it. And right now, as you lay your hands on your body, in the name that is above every name, it's above every country's name, above every tribe name, it's the name of every disease, every single virus, every name ever named, there is a name above it. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray the fire of the Holy Ghost touch your people right now. These new creations. I pray that you break off them the paradigms that have kept them in bondage. In Jesus' name. And increase their capacity right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, mighty God. Amen.